to the worst bestsellers, where we read about a whole lot of blood so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. Joining us to discuss this derivative YA fantasy is Anna, teen librarian and bleeder of red blood. Hi, Anna. Hey. Welcome. Thanks. To this podcast. Uh, <laughs> By the way, just for full disclosure, Anna is also my awesome coworker, and also was recently elected to the Prince Committee. So basically, she knows what she's talking about, and has oh no. and and has a really cool coworker, and <laughs> and red blood. Yes, <laughs> I definitively. Mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this book. Sucks. Didn't you? We were reading this because you guys read it before, right? Yes, we talked about it. We we about. I mean, not like I previously had read it, like when it kind of first came out and was getting buzz. I don't know when Anna. When did you read it? Yeah, same. Like, definitely only the first book was out, and I was like, oh, I should probably read this because, like, readers' advisory. And then I didn't read the other books. <laughs> oh no, no. No, no. But it was a few years ago, I guess, at this point. Yeah, I think the third one just came out a few months ago. Third and hopefully final. And it says this one came out in 2015, so... so she... It seems longer ago. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like... I mean, just reading this took, like, years off your life. It just It's really yeah. interesting, in a weird way... To see all of these, like, I feel like it's sometimes when people uh, bitch about, like, all of the uh, dystopian female-centered books that have come out, young adult books that have come out since The Hunger Games, like, it really makes me roll my eyes because, you know, there's nothing wrong with most of these books. Like, obviously, like, let kids read what they want to read and... I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with shining the spotlight on one particular genre when it's having its moment. But I feel like this is the sort of book that people are thinking of when they say those blanket statements, because this book reads like a Hunger Games ripoff fill in the blanks. It's very, it's very obviously derivative and it just really like is cringy to me like it seems so blatant yeah it's like there are parts of it where there are things that don't even make sense to the story that i'm sure are included because they also happened in the hunger games there are things that don't make any sense and not a lot of thought is put into that are very clearly, like, just because they're ripped off from these other series. And not yeah. in a good way. They just should have, and by they, I mean the author, should have just tried a little harder. To, just, yeah. yeah. Just, like, a like an ounce more of tryingness. <laughs> just yeah, <a> because <laughs> even... Um... Yeah, like the selection that we previously read also definitely has this like very blatant ripoff feel, but it was enjoyable. Like I, it was way more fun to read than this. And that one felt a lot more like they took this idea for 
a that at least they they were like, well, what if the Hunger Games but The Bachelor? And instead of trying to write the Hunger Games and squish The Bachelor into it, they like wrote their Bachelor story and added trappings of the Hunger Games. This really felt like they took the Hunger Games as an outline and tried to squish their plot into it. Yeah, like, I really want to rate this kind of like X-Men Game of Thrones story, but I know Hunger Games is hot, so let me just put that on in here. I guess uh, this is one, I mean, it is a legit bestseller. It has, uh, you know, always holds at the library, but I've mentioned it to a few people recently, and I think kind of outside of the YA book world that maybe isn't as well known as, like, the Hunger Games, probably because it is garbage. And... <laughs> So I guess we can, before we get too much further into this, try to give a plot summary beyond The Hunger Games, but terrible. <laughs> okay. And yeah. so the the titular uh, red refers to, uh, and also our jokes at the beginning about blood, are because in this world, uh, most people have normal red blood, and they're like normal boring people like you or I, but some people have silver blood, and those people get a cool X-Men-like power, uh, like maybe you're super strong, or maybe you can control metal, or like whatever. Um, and so those people are like the higher ruling class, is the main thing that you need to know about this world. Yes, and our protagonist, uh, her name is Mare, which is not short for anything. I kept waiting for it to be short for something, and it wasn't. Her name is just Mare. Mm -hmm. um, and her middle name is Molly, which is not short for anything either. She's, like, yeah. too poor to have a full name. <laughs> well, like, why um, wasn't she just named Molly? Like, Molly's a real name. You know, because dystopia. She's, she's a horse girl. I just like, she's a horse. Yeah. <laughs> So, Mare is our protagonist. She is a red, and she lives with her parents and her younger sister, and she has three, I think? Yeah, three older brothers. brothers. Who are off serving in the war. And everyone who is a red is sent to serve in the war when they turn 18, unless they have another full-time job. But jobs are really hard to come by if you're a red, because most, like, good jobs go to the silvers, and there are some, like, servant-level jobs and stuff available for reds in the silvers world, and some, like, very bare-bones jobs available, available for reds in the red world, but there's just not enough of jobs to go around. And Mare is about to turn 18 and she's preparing herself to go off to the war because she has no other skills. She basically like pickpockets to make enough money to feed her family and her family's total, everything about their future hinges on her little sister Giza who is a seamstress and is a very good seamstress and is like, um, apprenticed to the royal seamstress and is like so great and is promised a job as soon as she is old enough to get out of the apprenticehood and once she gets a job she can either get jobs for the rest of her family or they'll have enough money I think to buy their way out of conscription. Mm -hmm. 
And here's here's one more thing that doesn't quite add up is like they act like Gisa's ability to embroider is like supernatural. Like she's just amazing at it. How how like it's not really explained how she learned it or like why she's so good at it and Mare is so bad at it or like how they would have found that out if they're so poor. Like I can't imagine they had a bunch of like thread lying around. Like how I don't know. She just is. She just is so great, and that's all. My yeah. right and. My thing that makes me laugh so much about this is they're always talking about her carrying around these, like, scraps of embroidery. But that's, like, not how you make clothes. Like, you don't embroider, like, a random piece of cloth and then are like, oh, I'll just tack it on to, like, a dress. Like, you have to carry around the whole dress with you. So... Why does she just have, like, scraps of cloth with, like, little stitches on it? And I realize that that's, like, an asshole thing to be like, um, actually, that's how embroidery oh. works. Oh, Anna, that, um, actually, that's how our podcast works, so... Oh, great. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> great. Well, you know, actually, that's not how embroidery works. <laughs> so... I mean, it feels like she chose this job for Gisa without actually knowing anything like she needs a job that she does with her hands that takes very detailed work for reasons that we'll get to in a minute and I feel like she kind of pulled this one out of her butt and then like didn't even really google how embroidery works you're right yeah no versus like not to keep going back to the hunger games but in the hunger games we got it like prim was good at medicine and herbs and stuff because their mom was and she learned it from that her and like you know, that's where they lived kind of in the woods and she could do that. And I was like, yes, this checks out that she has this skill. Good for her. Not yeah. Red Queen, not passing that test. Yeah. So uh, Mayor lives with her family. She doesn't really have any talents except for pickpocketing. Uh, also in the Red City where she lives is her BFF Killorn, who's a boy who, like, is just a boy who she's friends with. Like, no big deal. They're just buddies. Or so we think at yeah. this point. Um, my my notes say Killorn equals Gale, which isn't even true, because with Gale, you had a much sense of, like, why they were so close and how their families were, like, allied. But she's clearly going for that kind of vibe of, like, you know, he, yes. he's from my street and he, like, knows my struggle and, like, whatever. Yeah, and uh, Killorn works for, he's the apprentice to a fishing guy, so he has a job, an apprenticeship, so he doesn't have to worry about going off to the war, Um, and we get a little bit of world building where we find out that once a month all of the Reds are forced to watch, go to an arena, and essentially watch, like, old school Roman Colosseum games, Mm -hmm. where different silvers with different powers, like fight to the death against each other. Not to the death, just to the pass out or something. The (laughs) maybe. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, like, everyone is forced to watch, and they really resent it for whatever reason, and... Yeah, because I'm, like, I mean, I I get the premise, like, they're saying, you know, it's the show of strength that we know as Reds we can never stand up to these cool powers, but, like, they once a month have to go watch this. So I don't really get why they're so mad about having to go and watch the Silvers fight each other. Like, it's clearly not as brutal and terrible as the Hunger Games, which, again, I get why you don't want to send your children off to die. 
But this is just like watching your oppressors fight each other. And it seems like it might be kind of fun. (laughs) Yeah, I never. I was just going to say, when I was rereading this, I was like, oh, right, they're killing Reds in the arena. That's horrifying. And I was like, oh, no, they're they're not actually. So, like, who who cares? Like, I I mean, no one's dying. Yeah, it's really violent and you are, are forced to watch it. So that's kind of a bummer. But it's not like they're picking people from the crowd and they're like, now this silver is going to murder you with green powers or whatever <laughs> plant shit. <Yeah. laughs> Especially because one of the silver powers is healing. So people get like immediately healed after they fight. So whatever. Um, but anyway, so that this is a thing that, that happens and... Life is continuing as usual until Killorn's, um, the guy that the fisherman he's an apprentice, he's apprenticed to, uh, falls and hurts himself and, or falls, I falls he and dies, died. I think. So yeah, he dies. So Killorn is going to be conscripted in like a week. So suddenly Mare's like, okay, well we have to get out of here. No one ever escapes conscription, but we're going to be the first to do it. And she goes to like a friend of hers who is... Um, she goes basically to like the black yeah she goes to like the black market of district 12 and is like hey (laughs) and asks for his help and he kind of introduces her to this girl Farley who is in the Scarlet Guard which she soon finds out is the rebel force within the Reds to take over the Silvers Um, and she Farley says to her, I will help you escape, but I need, I think, like, a thousand dollars or something. Mm-hmm. So. Which is an unfathomably large amount of money. And then she's like, oh, a thousand each. So it's really two thousand, which is just, like, barf. Yeah. <laughs> so Mare makes a plan that she's going to go to work with Giza and pickpocket from Silvers while Giza is working so that they'll have enough money to you know, buy her freedom and buy Killorn's freedom. Except that while she's there, before she can start pickpocketing, she sees on television that the Scarlet Guard have bombed, I think, like, the summer home or something of the royal family, and people are freaking out. So there's a riot against all of the Reds that are in the marketplace, and Mare meets up with her sister again, and they're going to escape the marketplace and go back to their Red Village, and Giza says to her, oh, like, did you get the money? And Mare's like, no. And Giza's like, oh, well, I'll help. And, like, reaches into someone's bag and gets <laughs> caught, which just seems like a stupid plan in the first place. And so as punishment, the Silvers break Giza's hand. So now she can't embroider anymore. So they need another something to do to save the family. So Mare's, like, despondent and feels like it's her fault. And she's off trying to steal from people at a tavern when she gets caught, I think, or somehow she meets up with this like super hot guy, her age, who kind of lets her like pour her heart out to him. Yeah. Like he catches her stealing and then she's like, wham, poor. And he's like, Oh, that sucks. Have more money. Yeah. So he, (laughs) he gives her some money and like takes her home. And then the next day, a bunch of um, people from the palace, like guards from the palace show up at her house and say like oh like you're coming with us you work for the palace now and she's like what the fuck but she goes and she like puts on the servant 
clothes that they give her and starts being trained as a servant and in the process of that realizes surprise the boy who helped her is cal who is the prince or she he had said his name was cal but he's prince calor calor who is the next in line for the throne and he gave her this job to help her to protect her from conscription and today is the day when the selection happens and all of the eligible girls show off their X-Men powers and he chooses which one he's going to marry. Uh, so, so during this, during the, the X-Men selection, Mare <laughs> falls at some point, something happens and she falls and she shows that she has, I think a mean girl yeah, pushes that, her. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like something that would happen. But she displayed it was um the bitchy one Evangeline who was like I'm gonna lift up this whole platform like Star Wars Episode One style or whatever and then she like falls off <laughs> Episode Two I don't give a shit terrible um <laughs> whatever the shitty ones are yeah she's like a Star yeah, Wars she's like prequel Star Wars girl. prequels the ledge and then she falls into like some weird Hunger Games electric net thing. That in the Hunger Games is a dome, but in this is a net. Yeah. And she gets yeah, elected. Yeah. To, to protect the spectators from right. the Queen's trial. And she, like, somehow survives. And she's, like, crackling with all of these, this electricity. So she's quickly, like, grabbed by guards and rushed away. And she's sure she's going to be killed. Because it doesn't make any sense that she would have these powers. Because she's a red she they bring her in front of the king and they decide that instead of like quietly killing her or something they're going to make her the make her get engaged to Cal's brother and the second son who's the prince maven and they like make up a name and a backstory for her and say that she's secretly been a silver all this time and she was the daughter of a famous general who died in war and she was adopted by a red family and she never realized that she was a silver because I guess in this she never got cut <laughs> once ever between childhood and now. Has never had her period. Nope. Um <laughs> So now she has totally to, like, plausible. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Does not take only two seconds to poke a hole in this. <laughs> and they even, even in the narrative, like Mare realizes that it's a shitty story, but they just are like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's so weird. So she has to like settle into this new role where she's now the princess to be and now it, it gets very selection-y where like she has her own room and her own um set of servants who help her pick out clothes and who like help her she has to go to all these special classes about how to be a rich girl and learn all this history because they're not taught history in the red villages and all this stupid shit and she also like it gets to know maven the the little prince and she realizes, like, maybe it won't be so bad. Like, Maven seems like a nice guy. Disappointed, but, you know, to be engaged to her. But she realizes it wasn't to do with her, but just to do with, like, 
him not having a choice. Yeah, and so <laughs> she's, she's starting to, like, become more friendly with him and starting to trust him more. And she still sort of likes Cal, who's engaged to this, like, the head mean girl, Evangeline, who has Magneto powers. And mm-hmm. they're constantly, like all of the upper-class women are jealous that she was picked to be the wife of a prince, so they're trying to poke holes in her story, but they don't try very hard, because it's not a very good story, yet none of them can poke holes in it. No. Also, I'm not clear why they're all still there, because the Queen's trial is over. This is like the selection ended, but all the selected girls never went home. They're just, like, there. and, And they even, like, she asks that at some point, and they're like, oh, like, that's just how it is. Like, they just stay for another two weeks. And it's like, okay, that seems mean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And basically, like, she starts to get the lay of the land, and she has a tutor named Julian, I think. That sounds, yeah. That seems right. Who knows that she's a red, like, because he uses basic logic and is like, you're obviously a red, like, with powers. (laughs) Like, that's weird, but that's obviously what is happening here. And he's, like, the only adult at the palace who knows. And between him and Cal and Maven, she starts to, like, get this picture of the... Cal's mother was, like, this great queen who died mysteriously and then... Maven's mother married the king, and she's, like, kind of bitter that her son's not going to be the king, but whatever. But Maven also is bitter that he's expected to be the king, or expected to be this prince, that he doesn't have his own way of life, and that everybody's always going to be comparing him to his brother. And Cal just wants to, like, fight in the army and doesn't care about being king. You know, all these rich people have their rich people problems, And, I don't know, stuff happens. Well, and then Julian starts giving some info about, like, the the royal history and how it's shady and how some people have, like, a secret mind control power that is, like, so scandalous that most people don't know that that's one of the silver powers, I guess. Um, And so the queen has that. But she she doesn't have the mind control power. She has the mind reading power. The mind control power is, like, the next thing up on the scale. I thought she did. Or does Maven have the mind? Who the who He mind does, Julian. Does. Julian. Okay. Uh, mm, it was, like, else, um, his sister who got her tongue cut oh, out. The, yes. the queen who died. Okay, yes, yeah. the queen who died had the mind but control But she didn't powers. use them for evil. No. But they didn't believe her. But, yeah, but then there was the lady with her tongue cut out. What was that about? She, she was a healer, but she can't heal herself. She was oh, right. BFF, who Julian had a crush on, and she spoke out against the new queen. We're getting way ahead of ourselves here, guys. I'm, I swear we're going to make this make sense in a second. Will we? Uh, Will we? So, so basically, <laughs> let's, let's, let's back up a little bit. Um, so there's all of this intrigue <laughs> around the uh, the royal family and how... Cal's mother, the first queen, had died, and, you know, supposedly I think she died of a sickness or something, 
but Julian and a couple other people in the palace suspect that it was that was not it that the the current queen had a hand in killing her but they're all very hush hush about it and at some point we do meet this woman who is a healer who is a friend of Julian's who he had been in love with, who had been the queen's best friend. And after the queen died mysteriously, she spoke out against the new queen and had her con- her tongue cut out for, you know, spreading quote-unquote lies. And no one else would speak up against the new queen, so that kind of, like, just got brushed under the rug. Meanwhile, all of that happened a long time ago, Back in current times, Mare finds out about the Scarlet Guard and how they're making all of these plans to essentially, like, they want to take over. And she decides that she can help. One night she's really homesick and Hal, uh, Cal sneaks her out of the castle to go visit her family. And while she's out there, she finds out that Kilgore... Kilgorn? Kilorn? Kilorn. <laughs> whatever. Kilgale. Uh, he's joined up with the scarlet guard and she's really because part of her her deal with becoming this princess and having this new life is that all of her brothers and uh killorn are no longer conscripted like they don't have to join the army anymore and she finds out that he's joined the Scarlet Guard and she wants to join too. And she's like trying to convince him that she's going to be in the palace. And she has this close, she'll, she'll have her ear to the ground there. So she'll have all of this information. And uh, she soon finds out that she's not the only person who's pledged herself to the Scarlet Guard, but Maven, the prince has also pledged himself to the Scarlet Guard, even though he's a silver, because he thinks it's the right thing to do. He thinks that, you know, the bourgeoisie must be overthrown, even though he is a part of the bourgeoisie in theory. And they have, they come up with this plan where they're going to assassinate like four very specific people at this big party. And, and there's a lot of angst about this where, um, Farley, who's like the the head Scarlet or one of the head Scarlet guard girls is like really trying to get him to name names. And uh, Mare is like, oh, my God, you pick people for them to kill? Like, how could you? And it's like, Mare, what do you think revolution is? Like, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) And he's like, well, I only picked, like, bad people for them to kill. Yeah, like, it's very... They've picked these, like, four select people who will send a message and will impede the Silver's ability to react in a timely manner or something like that. So it all happens at this party and they're all in on the plan, but then things go pear shaped and there's a bomb. There's a bomb that they didn't, they thought it was going to be like specific targeted assassinations of these bad dudes. And it is to to start with, but then things go pear shaped and there is a bomb and there's other people who have been shot and not everyone who was shot is dead. And it's chaos. And the Scarlet guard were supposed to have enough time to get out, but they haven't, they were captured and they, like, interrogate them really painfully. Yeah, one of the Silvers has the power to freeze your blood, or, like, freeze stuff in general. Like, she has, like, Iceman powers, but she uses it to freeze blood into blood icicles, which is horrible. Yes. Gross. Um, and 
Mare uses Julian. That's when she finds out that Julian has the mind control powers. And he helps her help the Scarlet Guard escape. And after that, everyone decamps to the main palace. Like, this was just, like, a side palace. Yeah, like, their summer palace or something. Yeah, they have to take a boat down the river. And that's when they see, like, other towns that exist. Yeah, and as punishment during all of this... Um, Mare discovers that the bomb that went off was not part of the plan. Like, none of the rebels know where the bomb came from. And also, as punishment for the Reds for doing this, the Silvers lower the age of conscription to, like, 16, I think. Yeah. So she's the one who has to broadcast on television that this is happening as punishment for the part that they suspect she played but can't really prove. And Julian leaves a note for her that basically says, like, it turns out that your blood isn't red. It's a mixture of red and silver. So that's why you have a power. And that's why your brother was killed. Her brother's killed at one point, too. Sorry, this book, a lot happened. It's very clumsy. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of just sort of, like, (laughs) oh, here's some exposition. And then here's, like some long long scenes of just sort of like gazing at boys and thinking about them and I mean, it, it really just is everything like when people make fun of like YA dystopia or whatever it's it's very this yeah so uh, we're basically so at the end now well and then there's this piece of like uh, worry about the blood database that keep like everyone's blood is registered and she realizes they're gonna like track her blood to the blood database but then her um, maven has her removed from the database for some other excuse. Like, there's some other reason why he comes up with well, her. Well, I think because removed. people could look into how shitty her story is about yeah. being the adopted, like, whatever. Yeah, so they do that. And maven also suggests a plan for them to infiltrate the castle through like the subways or something and basically it was like if we confront my dad and my brother they will give in to us you know because cal loves you mayor and he won't let anything happen to you and he'll be able to to have our dad stop all of this and it'll be a peaceful transfer of power so they do this plan And it turns out that actually Maven has been against them the entire time. And he's been manipulating all of them for the queen who captures them all and then makes Cal kill the king. That happens, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and it's like um, the king understands what's happening and he like forgives him while it's happening. But it's yeah, it's a it's a dark turn for this book to be sure. <laughs> yeah, and basically because Cal kills his father, they're able to say like, oh, like Cal's a traitor who killed the king. Essentially, like they pin Maven's whole like I was part of the Scarlet Guard on Cal, so he's now a traitor, and Maven becomes king, and they Mar Mar, uh, Mar and Cal are going to be executed. Yeah, and they pull together footage that makes it seem like 
Mare is a red blood and she didn't really have any powers and like it was all faked and like she deceived them. And yeah. I, and he did something to her so that her powers wouldn't work, but now I don't remember what it was. I can't either. He did it something so um, Oh, yes. I remember. Great. <laughs> I'll save the day. <laughs> There was that one, um, the, like, trainer guy in the, like, murder dojo <laughs> yes. um, that could, like, turn off people's powers or whatever. And so they, like, he, like, turned off mares and cows in the execution arena. He had, like, rogue power. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so so they're in the murder dome without their powers. And the Scarlet Guard come... And there's, like, a big, like, act three fight scene from a superhero movie. Yeah. <laughs> and Mare, like, overcomes the power block somehow and gets her powers back. And they escape with the Scarlet Guard. And they find out that Mare's brother, who everyone thought was killed because he had the red silver hybrid blood has actually been faking his own death and he's alive and he's also a member of the scarlet guard yeah and there's there's a whole list of other people with the hybrid blood who have been presumed dead but aren't dead and i have to assume that the the next books are about them like coming into their x-men powers or whatever yeah because that's basically the end of this book right yeah yeah Um, it was a very abrupt ending. It, it was kind of like, well, we we barely escaped death. What happens next? I guess you'll have to read the next book. Yeah, it's definitely very book one of a trilogy. Oh, it just ends here because this is enough pages. But check out book two for more. Like, it, it doesn't have a natural conclusion. Yeah. It was just... I mean, obviously, you just heard us ramble about it for 45 minutes. Like, who knows what the fuck happened in this book? And every single thing that did happen has, like, a very close mirror in The Hunger Games. It really did. Um, One quick detail I wanted to dig into that many things don't make sense, but <laughs> the, the silver bloods are, like, pale and they blush silver because their blood is silver. Which doesn't seem to me like how bodies work. And then it also raised the question for me, like, is everyone in this world white? But then there was one silver blood with coffee-colored skin and black hair. But then, like, how does it look when she would have silver blood under brown skin? Like, how does any of this work? And also, are we, like, peach color because of red blood? Like, I just don't... <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but I feel like it doesn't check out. Yeah, a lot of this doesn't check out. But that was a thing that came up like a lot because every morning she had to put on like silver makeup to look like a silver. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah, so I imagine just like really thick, like white, like crazy makeup, but I. Uh... Like, ev- like, is it, like, everywhere on her arms? I never got that. I uh, I don't care. But that annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, and especially because she didn't have it in, like, the first video where they, like, revealed her or whatever. Mm, right. Yeah. Also, I don't think also... We... Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say, you think in that first video, if she, like, fell off of a whatever she fell off of, that, like, she'd be bleeding? Like, red blood bleeding? But uh, that's too logical, perhaps. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just one more thing that doesn't add up. Yeah. I don't think we emphasized that it was a big deal that she unleashed her powers at the end because it was, like, being broadcast... And so it definitively proved that she did have this lightning power and it wasn't being faked like the queen said she was or whatever. So probably that'll come up in the next book. I don't... It's all very stupid. Mm-hmm. It's also not clear to me, like, what level of technology they... Like, they seem to have TV and it seems to be kind of the future. I It definitely feels like the selection where it's like, oh, is this the future? I guess. But, like, I want them to write notes to each other so they don't have phones. Like, <laughs> it feels like that, but more annoying. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, Mare's family had, like, electricity, and they talk about, like, seeing the news reports on TV. But at one point, Mare, like, doesn't know what a play is because she and Maven go to a play yeah, And it's like, oh, Maven told me that a play is when an actor does something on a stage. So that's what a play is. And I'm just like, I don't think that's how, like, it works if you're, like, poor. Like, you still know what a play is. Like, you don't live in, like, this weird poor bubble where you're, like, completely unaware of regular I mean, really... things. <laughs> It really does, like, play into that sort of, like, upper-middle-class belief that, like, people who are poor are never allowed to do anything for themselves or have anything fun or anything. Like, their lives just have to be a constant misery where they work 20 hours a day and never stop because if they do, I guess they're lazy. Yeah. Well, and Mm -hmm. then also, so when she's on the riverboat going to the other palace, she sees for the first time the, like, I forget what they call it, but the town where they make, um, they have the factories, and she realizes, like, how shitty the factory town is, and it makes her river town look like a paradise, because the factory town, like, sucks, and then she's so grateful that she was, like, a river peasant and not a factory peasant, and it's, like... First of all, A, this is not that far from you. Like, how did you not know it existed, like, at all, at all? And then it was it was just, yeah, that too. Like, oh, I should be grateful for not being, like, the worst kind of peasant. Yeah. Uncomfortable. Yeah. Just, just a really problematic class, look at class in this fictional world. Yeah. Well, and the thing that frustrates me, well, there's so many things that frustrate me about <laughs> this book. But that, like, she, if the author, do you guys do author bashing? I don't know. Can I be mean to the author? Great. I'll try not yeah. to. <laughs> uh, I just, you know, if she tried a little bit harder or maybe did some sort of research into class systems and poverty, then she could have been making, like, a great allegory about a class system with, like, the powerful people who have these X-Men powers and the people who don't. But instead, she just was like, well, this is what happened, so you're poor, you don't know anything. And I was like, but you could have said something potentially profound about how classes, class systems and classism is 
bad, but you're just like, it's cool to have X-Men powers. Hope you do. Yeah. There's there's a couple things that... I mean, like, X-Men has not always been the best or, like, most subtle or whatever about its allegory, but at least its thing is, like, having this X-Men mutation is something that you randomly get or not, and even though it seems cool object to the reader to have these powers like society hates you for it because like prejudice is sort of nonsense and like it just fears whatever's different even if it seems awesome and this is like oh having powers is awesome and cool and it makes you the upper class and it's just the best (laughs) (laughs) the end (laughs) and then another thing that does this you know, Hunger Games doesn't have the powers, but it does have this, like, fucked economy system. But it okay. explains how it got that way so much more sensibly. And you're like, yeah, but, like, you know, it depends on what resources your region had originally. And it depends on how close you are to the seat of power. And then also just randomly, like, if your family happened to have money, maybe you could at least have a bakery. And this doesn't have any of that, and it's stupid. No. Yeah. That's... I think we're not aware talking about it when we talked about it before that like this book makes the Hunger Games seem like a like a masterpiece like the Hunger Games which like I liked but like reading this book makes it seem like the Hunger Games like Suzanne Collins should win like the freaking Nobel Prize. <laughs> I mean for yeah. Right. Reading this and reading a few other things we've read for the podcast does really make you realize how much heavy list- lifting Suzanne Collins was doing in a like very sort of casual way that seems sort of effortless. And then you go back and you're like, oh, no, but that world made so much sense. And like y- you yeah. pick up so many things just from a few sort of subtle pieces of information you get. And here is just a mess. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's the, I feel the same way about a lot of the big popular books. Well, Twilight is hit or miss, but, you know, (laughs) things like The Hunger Games and Harry Potter and all of these things that end up, you know, go through the cycle of like, oh, like, this is great, and they're wonderful, and everyone loves them. That means they're secretly garbage, and people who like them are just super basic and don't realize that there are better things out there. Because once you start to look at all of these things that are just trying to replicate that formula, it very quickly becomes apparent that it is a difficult formula to replicate, and that it's easy to sit here and say, I found 15 holes in your plot. But it's harder to go into it having caught all of those plot holes and made it make as much intricate sense through the world building as they do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to shit on them and be like, and that's oh, what we're doing. You know. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's easy to shit on something like The Hunger Games and be like, oh, like, you know, a girl. And she's to completely boil it down to its base parts that don't even cover how complicated it is to say oh it's a girl and there's the two boys and she can't decide which one she likes and she's boring but she becomes the savior of the world where there's actually so much more to it than that that makes those very simple things work in a way that goes beyond that simplification right yeah you know like Mm -hmm. like Katniss is you know this very boring simple girl who doesn't stand out in any way except in her empathy for her sister like because she loves her sister that is her one standout quality and it throws her into everything else and everything kind of changes because of that because she's not a superhero and she is a normal girl stuck in this whereas this book doesn't do any of that 
at all. <laughs> right. So we have a girl who's thrown into this world but doesn't have any of those qualities. Like, it's very by chance, so there is no defining feature. There is no other agenda that she has other than this sort of pasted on, but I'm a red in a silver world, and I want to make better for my red family. I don't know. Yeah. And even, you know, I think that Katniss, like, volunteering on behalf of her sister is, you know, like, a, a beautiful gesture or whatever. And this is, like oh, but my friend who's a boy, but he's not my boyfriend. Like, you know, I didn't do shit for my brothers, but this boy cannot go to war and I will, like, risk everything for this rando, like, semi-rando boy. Is, yeah. like, what got her into mm. it. Good point. You should have done this for your brothers. That's pretty <laughs> shitty. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, her brothers were older or whatever, but, like, still. Still. Yeah. I have a question for you guys. When, so, you know, like, we touched briefly, there's, like, weird underground subway tunnels that the Silvers don't know about, even though they're basically, like, all-powerful and super smart and X-Men or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, did you guys interpret this, and maybe I'm giving this way too much credit, but did you interpret this as some sort of, like, alternate history of the United States and or, like, modern world where we descend into sort of weird silver red mutations and then this is our world because I remember thinking when I listened to the audiobook which is how I read it first which I think is how I got through it because you can totally just zone out on an audiobook Mm -hmm. and you don't have to really care that much I remember the like one of the cities sounded a bit like it was like fake New York City But did you guys get that, or is that just me trying to give it more credit? I didn't think of it, but I couldn't tell you where I think this is supposed to be set. Like, you could tell me it's a totally different planet, and I'd be like, okay. Or you could tell me it's Earth in the future. You could tell me it's Earth in the past. Like, I would buy any of it. I don't know. There's, like, we get, like, three pieces of detail, and I personally didn't process them into anything useful. Yeah, I didn't... I wasn't looking for that, and it didn't, ast- it didn't like, throw it in our faces the way that, like, the selection did, um, or even the Hunger Games, like, very clearly when they discuss all the different districts, it becomes easy to um, work backwards and figure out what the setting is supposed to be, mm-hmm. but I didn't, it didn't pay that sort of attention to the setting until the very end, and by that point, I wasn't thinking about it at all. Which doesn't mean that that wasn't the intention. It just means that if it was the intention, they didn't do a very good job. Yeah. Like, we know yeah, she's, that's... like, on a river, and there's, like, a lake, maybe, and that's, like, all. That could be, like, and then yeah. the tunnels, and that's, like, all. Yeah. <laughs> that's sort of what I sort of thought. I was, like, I had this inkling where I was, like, oh, maybe this is supposed to be, like, the subway tunnels beneath, like, New York City or something. And so then, like, after that, I spent the last third of the book or whatever trying to like pick out other clues and I was like oh there's that's it there's nothing else never mind maybe that was just like a one-off that gets developed later or not yeah I mean I think you're absolutely right it could be it could not be I don't know (laughs) don't really care nope same (laughs) uh should we dive into some dramatic readings now is there any other plot points we want to throw out here Nope, let's move on. (laughs) Again, if you're listening to this and you're confused, like, we tried. I don't know what to tell you. This book doesn't add up. 
All right. So our first dramatic reading is from pretty close to the beginning. Um, oh, you know what? Actually, this is going to give us a few pieces of info about uh, <laughs> where this book might be set. So make of it what you will. And uh, I will be Mare slash the narrator. And Anna will be Killorn slash Gale. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's been going on for the better part of the last hundred years. I don't think it should even be called a war anymore, but there isn't a word for this higher form of destruction. In school, they told us it started over land. The lake lands are flat and fertile, bordered by immense lakes full of fish. Not like the rocky, forested hills of Norta, where the farmlands can barely feed us. Even the Silvers felt the strain, so the king declared war, plunging us into a conflict neither side could really win. The Lakelander King, another silver, responded in kind, with the full support of his own nobility. They wanted our rivers, to get access to a sea that wasn't frozen half the year, and the water mills dotting our rivers. The mills are what make our country strong, providing enough electricity so that even the Reds can have some. I've heard rumors of cities farther south, near the capital, Archaeon, where greatly skilled reds build machines beyond my comprehension. For transport on land, water, and sky, or weapons to, tr to rain destruction wherever the silvers might need. Our teacher proudly told us Norta was the light of the world, a nation made great by our technology and power. All the rest, like the Lakelands or Piedmont to the south, live in darkness. We were lucky to be born here. Lucky. The word makes me want to scream. But despite our electricity, the Lakelander food, our weapons, their numbers, neither side has much advantage over the other. Both have silver officers and red soldiers fighting with abilities and guns and the shield of a thousand red bodies. A war that was supposed to end less than a century ago still drags on. I always found it funny that we fought over food and water. Even the high and mighty silvers need to eat. But it isn't funny now, not when Kalorn is going to be the next person I say goodbye to. I wonder if he'll give me an earring so I can remember him when the polished legionnaire takes him away. One week, Mare. One week and I'm gone. His voice cracks, though he coughs to try to cover it up. <clears throat> I can't do this. They, they won't take me. But I can see the fight going out of his eyes. There must be something we can do. There's nothing anyone can do. No one has escaped conscription and lived. He doesn't need to tell me that. Every year, someone tries to run. And every year, they're dragged back to the town square and hanged. No, we'll find a way. Even now, he finds the strength to smirk at me. We? The heat in my cheeks surges faster than any flame. I'm doomed for conscription same as you, but they're not going to get me either. So we run. The army has always been my fate, my punishment. I know that. But not his. It's already taken too much from him. There's nowhere we can go. He sputters, but at least he's arguing. At least he's not giving up. We'd never survive the north in winter. The east is the sea. The west is more war. The south is radiated all to hell. And everywhere in between is crawling with silvers and security. The words pour out of me like a river. So is the village, crawling with silvers and security. And we manage to steal right under their noses and escape with our heads. 
the black market trade, the one we keep running, smuggles everything from grain to light bulbs. Who's to say they can't smuggle people? His mouth opens, about to spout a thousand reasons why this won't work. But then he smiles and nods. I don't like getting involved with other people's business. I don't have time for it. And yet here I am, listening to myself say four dooming words. Leave everything to me. Okay, so I guess that actually did give kind of a lot of detail about their geography, but it doesn't really add up to anything useful. No. I definitely, like, completely forgot that all that happened, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's chapter three. Yeah. No one can be expected to remember that long ago. (laughs) But, I mean, that could be, like, anywhere. Like, the north is colder, and there's the sea to the east. Like, okay, sure. Yeah. And why don't the silvers just, like, work together to oppress all the reds together? Because silvers need food. I don't know. But they could... uh, It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing matters. None of this makes any sense. No. (laughs) Nothing matters and we're all gonna die. (laughs) Indeed. By the hands of the silvers. (laughs) Alright, so I'm going to do the next dramatic reading, and this is towards the end of the book when they're coming up with their plan to stage a coup, as you will soon find out via definition of the word coup. (laughs) (laughs) It hits me like a thunderbolt, and I finally realize what Maven is getting at. But they won't fight on the field, I breathe. He turns to me, smiling like a crazed loon. You're talking about a coup. Farley frowns. A coup? A coup, a coup d'etat. It's a history thing, a before thing, I explain, trying to wave off their confusion. It's when a small group quickly overthrows a large government. Sound familiar? Farley and Kilorn exchange glances, eyes narrowed. Go on, she says. You know the way Archeon's built, with the bridge, the west side, and the east side? My fingers race along with my words, drawing a rough map of the city in the dust. Now, the west side has the palace, command, the treasury, the courts, the entire government. And if somehow we can get in there, cut it off, get to the king, and make him agree to our terms, it's all over. You said it yourself, Maven. You can run the whole country from Caesar Square. All we have to do is take it. Under the table, Maven pats me on the knee. He's buzzing with pride. Farley's usual suspicious look is gone, replaced by real hope. She runs a hand over her lips, mouthing words to herself as she eyes the dust-drawn plan. This might just be me. Kilorn begins, falling back to his usual snide tone. But I'm not exactly sure how you plan to get enough reds in there to fight silvers. You need ten of us to bring down one of them. Not to mention there's the 5,000 silver soldiers loyal to your brother. He glances at Maven. All trained to kill, all trying to hunt us down as we speak. I deflate, falling back against the seat. That could be difficult. Impossible. Maven brushes a hand over my dust map, wiping away West Archeon with a few strokes of his fingers. Legions are loyal to their generals, and I happen to know a girl who knows a general very well. 
When his eyes meet mine, all his fire is gone, replaced now by bitter cold. He smiles tightly. You're talking about Cal. The soldier, the general, the prince, his father's son. Again, I think of Julian, of the uncle Cal would kill for his twisted version of justice. Cal would never betray his country, not for anything. When Maven answers, it's matter of fact. We give him a hard choice. I can feel Killorn's eyes on my face, weighing my reaction, and it's almost too much pressure to bear. Cal will never turn his back on his crown, on your father. I know my brother. If it comes down to it, to saving your life or saving his crown, we both know what he will choose. Maven fires back. He would never choose me. My skin burns under Maven's gaze with the memory of one stolen kiss. It was him who saved me from Evangeline. Cal who saved me from escaping and bringing more pain upon myself. Cal who saved me from conscription. I've been too busy trying to save others to notice, to notice how much Cal saves me, how much he loves me. Suddenly, it's very hard to breathe. Maven shakes his head. He will always choose you. Farley scoffs. You want me to pin my entire operation, the entire revolution, on some teenage love story? I can't believe this. Across the table, a strange look crosses Killorn's face. When Farley turns to him, looking for some kind of support, she finds none. I can, he whispers, his eyes never leaving my face. I like how they tried to hang a lampshade on it there at the end, where they're like, <laughs> yes, we're basing all of this around a teenage love story, but if we make a joke about it, then that makes it okay. It doesn't, though. Spoiler. No. <laughs> it <clears throat> all right, and uh, one last dramatic reading. Uh, a piece of backstory we did not mention is that before her brothers went off to war, each of them bought one pair of earrings and then gave one earring each to her and her younger sister, Gisa. So they had, like, these mismatched remembrance earrings. Slash also, they were too poor to buy two whole sets of earrings, you guys. They were poor. <laughs> so poor. So you should know about that. And then uh, for this one, Anna will read Mare, I will be Prince Maven, and Kate will be Farley the Rebel. All right. At this hour, the city is quieter than I ever thought possible. Even the patrol guards are drowsy, slowly moving from post to post. Excitement trills through me, making my legs shake. Somehow, Maven keeps still, barely even blinking. He stares through the diamond glass wall, always watching the bridge. His focus is staggering. They're late. He whispers, never moving. I'm not. If I didn't know any better, I'd think Farley was a shadow, able to shift in and out of visibility. She seems to melt out of the semi-darkness, pulling herself up from a drain. I offer my hand, but she pushes herself to her feet alone. Where are the others? Waiting. She gestures to the ground below. If I squint, I can just see them, 
crowded into the drain system, about to retake the surface. I want to climb into the tunnel with them, to stand with Kalorn and my kind, but my place is here, next to Maven. Are they armed? Are they ready to fight? Always. But I'm not calling them out until you're sure the square is ours. I don't put much faith in Lady Barrow's ability to charm. Neither do I, but I don't say that out loud. He will always choose you. I've never wanted anything to be right and yet wrong at the same time. Kilorn wanted you to have this. She adds, holding out her hand. In it is a tiny green stone, the color of his eyes, an earring. He said you'd know what it means. I choke on my words, feeling a a great surge of emotion. Nodding, I take the earring from her and raise it to the others. Bree, Trammy, Shade, I know each stone and what they mean. Kalorn is a warrior now, and he wants me to remember him as he was. Laughing, teasing me, sniffing around like a lost puppy, I will never forget that. The sharp metal stings, drawing blood. When I pull my hand back from my ear, I can see the crimson stain on my fingers. This is who you are. So I just want to say <laughs> I picked this because they're about to go into this big battle where Mara has to convince a whole bunch of people that she's still silver, but she just one pierced her own ear with an earring, which I don't think you can do. And two, now she's bleeding red blood <laughs> from like by her face. Like, everyone's gonna see her bleeding red blood. Why yep. would you do that? Because <laughs> she had to remember where she came from. From <laughs> Norta. <laughs> oh, it's so dumb. Yeah. It's so dumb. Alright. Um, so that's, that's what this book is like. You get it. <laughs> we'll move on and play some Would You Rather. And I'll ask, would you rather have red blood or silver blood? I don't understand why this is even a question. I absolutely want a a superpower. Like, I was actually thinking, like, not with the powers. Just, like, what color would you rather have your blood be? Oh, all right. Um, (laughs) I mean, then I'll go with red blood because I'm pale enough already. If I had silver blood, I would just be invisible when I was standing in a white room. (laughs) The thing that I keep thinking about with silver blood is, like, I feel like your tampons would look so awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's an important consideration. Yeah. Think of the, like, beautiful menstrual art you could make <laughs> if you had silver fucking blood. <laughs> and so... And I think I would go with so that's that. that's my answer. Yeah. I would go with that as well. And just maybe, like, lean into some, like, goth makeup or something. <laughs> but, yeah, of course, it would be awesome to have a superpower. But mm-hmm. even without it, <laughs> it would be cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, would you rather be in The Selection from The Selection Books or The Queen's Trial? Um, I would do the selection because as I believe we established in the selection episode, it is a pretty sweet deal, even for me, a lesbian, um, because as long as you're there for, as long as you're there, your family gets set up 
with like money and food just for you being chosen to go that far. And if you survive, is it immediately or is it like you have to get to a certain point, but you move up in status, even if you're only there for a short amount of time. So that seems like a no lose situation. Whereas Queen's trial, like you have a power, but you have to fight. And I don't think I'd be very good at that. To be, I don't think in the Queen's Trial they even had to fight each other. I think they just had to, like, show off their powers by themselves in the dome. It, that sounds right. I, either way, it's real stupid, though. For mm-hmm. sure, for sure. I haven't read the selection, so I'm basing it solely off of the covers, mm-hmm. where they wear fancy dresses. Yeah, you got it. And I, yeah, okay, so I understand. <laughs> So I guess I'd rather just wear a fancy dress than have to do whatever the Queen's Trial people had to do. So, selection, please. Um, I'll take the Queen's Trial, because I think I would like to have a superpower. And if my memory of the Queen's Trial is right, you don't actually have to fight. You just have to, like, do a cool little stunt show with your powers. (laughs) And I'll do that. All right, and then our last question, we're actually bringing back a game we've played a few times before, um, Fucking, Marrying, Killing. And our three options for this game are Killorn, Cal, and Maven. Okay, I've been thinking about this for a little while, and I think (laughs) that I would go with Killing Killorn, because fuck that guy, but not literally. (laughs) But not fucking that guy. Yes. Um... (laughs) And then I'm really torn with these other two, because I don't, I I guess, I guess I'll go with fucking Maven and marrying Cal, and I'm going back and forth because I feel like Cal would be a better spouse in that, like, he would really care about you and, like, want you to do good. Whereas Maven is so devious that you would, like, no, I'm switching it. I'm switching it. Killing <laughs> Killorn, fucking Cal, marrying Maven. Whoa, because how did you talk yourself like, into that? What? <laughs> because Continue. <laughs> because when you marry Maven, like, he's fucking diabolical and shit and is going to be the king of everything and I'm cool with that. (laughs) He has mind control powers. I'm killing him. (laughs) I'm (laughs) killing him. Which means that you either have to fuck or marry Killorn. So already I'm looking down at you for this. I'm killing killing Maven. I'm fucking Killorn. I feel like he's got like the soul of a poet in the hands of a crab man. And I... (laughs) I feel like he's got that situation. I can deal with that for one night. And I'm marrying Cal, and then I'll be the queen of Norta? I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm I'm with Kate on this one, and I'm totally killing Killorn. One, because it's in his name. Two, because he's really boring. Like, I don't care about you at all. You have no personality. So you, you did. And um, I'm going to marry Cal, but mm-hmm. fuck You have to marry Marrying Cal. I'm sorry. It's, I, I, I understand. Are. Yeah, this is a Jaren's <laughs> only game. <laughs> Jaren. Who even knows what that, those are? God, they didn't pass, like, 
grammar. <laughs> um, marrying Cal and fucking Maven. Because I fear he's good at least once. And then bye. But the most important thing for me is killing Killorn. Because he's the worst character of all time. I mean, no, I mean, same, he sucks. Same. He sucks. But Maven has mind control powers. He could make it's you do fine. whatever. Right. He's gonna be king be of everything. I'll fucking let me live alone in a palace by myself and I'll be there for his status symbol and he can mind control whoever he wants. I don't care about any of the people in this stupid society. <laughs> but he could mind control you. <laughs> but we won't know. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> you guys are staying in the Matrix. I guess. <laughs> okay. I feel like we've all learned a lot about each other. <laughs> And let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we will tell you to just read The Hunger Games. Just The Hunger Games. It's so good. Did you know that? It's so good. (laughs) I'm I'm also going to throw out the Amazon description of Red Queen is Graceling meets The Selection, which Graceling is also so good. You should definitely read that. The Selection Mm -hmm. is fine. Definitely better than this. Not great. Just fine. (laughs) But still, those are all better options than this. And also X-Men. All the X-Men. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna all throw out uh, three things. One is the Chaos Walking trilogy by Patrick Ness. If you're in the mood for dystopia and like weird societies and social class issues. Um, Runaways, which is a comic series by Brian K. Vaughn uh, with art by Adrian Alfona. It's really good. It's about these teenagers who discover that their parents are a league of supervillains and they decide that they're going to become a league of superheroes in order to combat that badness that's been put into the world by their parents. Um, So if you like teenagers with superpowers having teenage problems, definitely pick that up. And uh, if you like weird genetic shit, watch the movie Gattaca. It's really good. Totally. Um, I only recommend one book because I recommend putting all of your eggs into one basket. So if you don't like this book, then fine. (laughs) Um, I don't care. Um, But I recommended The Queen of the Tearling. Um, It's got very similar things to Red Queen. Also the title. It's got Mm -hmm. the word queen in it. Right there. Um, So there you go. Uh, but it's just a more interesting um, sort of the story of the unprepared queen with super magical powers. Um, but I thought it was better written and um, an interesting sort of evil red queen. There is actually, um, now I'm remembering, there's like a legit red queen in that book, but she's evil. So uh, whatever. It's just better to read that. Just read that. Great. We'll have all of these and some other ones up on our website, worstbestsellers.com, under Reader's Advisory for this episode, so you can check that out. And now we will move on to our candy pairing, where we'll recommend a candy to go along with this book. Mine is Shock Tarts, which I don't know if they make anymore. It's fine <laughs> if they don't. But they just, uh, they're really like a fad when I was in fifth grade, and they hurt your mouth. And they're not good. <laughs> Red Queen. That's so specific. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
So my candy pairing is a generic grocery store knockoff candy. Uh, you can tell it was made by someone so interested in grabbing your attention at first glance that they put no actual effort into the content. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I chose um, red velvet candy corn, which is an actual candy I saw once upon a time. Um, so basically you take something that's delicious, like red velvet cake, a.k.a. the Hunger Games, and you make it into something that's really gross, like candy corn slash red queen that that checks out mm-hmm. thank you <laughs> all right now we'll play our favorite game the rock paper <laughs> snicked where kate will say who Dwayne the rock johnson would be if he were in this book and i will say who wolverine would be if he were in this book and anna will choose a winner uh which enhances the book the most or can choose paper which is leave the book as is all right if Dwayne the rock johnson were in this book he would be a strong arm, which is a person with super strength powers. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned that all of the powers, like they have weird, cutesy names. Yeah. Anyway, um, the rock would be a strong arm and he'd be working for the palace, but he's secretly a member of the Scarlet Guard. And when Mare shows up at the arena and reveals her powers during the Queen's trial, he'd finagle his way into being her personal bodyguard. From this position, he would manage to keep a close enough eye on her that he could keep her from doing some of her more, making some of her more egregious mistakes, and really firmly insisting constantly that she can't trust anyone. And after the Scarlet Guard's attack on the fancy party goes awry and the bomb goes off, he would secret her out of the palace uh, while also freeing all of the captured members of the Guard. They join the resistance from the outside and using the Rock's knowledge of royal life because everyone was always confiding in him because he's so trustworthy. Uh, they'd be able to conduct a peaceful takeover without all the confusing double-crossing mess in the actual book. That sounds good. But if Wolverine were in this book, <laughs> uh, he would be a blood healer, which is, there are two kinds of healers. You could either be, I forget, like a healer who can heal other people, or you could be a blood healer, which is where you heal yourself. He would be that. And he lives in uh, the Stilts, which is the name of Mare's village, I guess, her area. And uh, he would hang out with Will Whistle, who is the head <laughs> of the black market of the stilts. Um, because even though he's a silver blood, he just really prefers a life of simple solitude uh, in a cave, if possible. And he would be there when Mare came looking for a way to get her and Kalorn out of town before being conscripted. And he would help them out because he does have a soft spot for helping sad teenage girls. So he would he would help get them out of town, and they would all run away to join the Scarlet Guard, because you know Wolverine figures it's about time he he does something for somebody else. Um, with him there to help out, Mare would figure out her red silver blood powers without ever meeting the princes and get, being um, in this book at all. And so instead, <laughs> she and Wolverine would end up being the leaders of a successful revolution without ever having to be in the Queen's trial. Oh my gosh. You guys made it really hard. Um, they're both so good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, good I... is a relative term. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to have to choose 
rock and hopefully Renato you'll like let me into the office tomorrow <laughs> uh, no nope, please don't let me in <laughs> but I have my own key so um yeah I just I mean the rock is very trustworthy I would confide in him so I'm gonna go with rock yeah I mean it's who among us would not confide in the rock absolutely no one it's true all right, well played. The Rock, Paper, Snooked is the game where no one loses, except Victoria Aveyard, I guess. <laughs> Even she wins, because we fixed her book for her. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, what what would you guys say the moral of the story is? I would say the moral... Uh, I would probably say words the right way that you say them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go on. I would... <laughs> say the moral of the story is trust no one that's x-files music in case you're unfamiliar oh so good (laughs) my moral of the story is one that we've used before but it's always true rich people are different from the rest of us Mm, so true my moral of the story is if you end up getting cool X-Men powers, maybe just use them for good and not for subjugating other people. That sounds, mark? That sounds good. Sounds smart. All right. Now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will give his opinions on the book. You know, Dorothy, you're right. I don't really remember there being any animals in this, mm. which, you know, you'd think there would be. It definitely would have made the book better. And I, I understand that you're trying to, you know, fill in the blanks and she didn't leave you much to work with. But I think uh, the decision that animals all have an even better colored blood that puts them at an even higher class is maybe making a narrative leap. But, you know, you write your fan fiction, I'll write mine. That's how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> Seems legit. All right. Well, thanks again, Duarte. We'll, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> Do any humans have any closing thoughts? Just maybe read something else with your time. There's a lot of time in the world. (laughs) There's not actually that much time. Oh my gosh. I'm so good at this podcasting thing. Um, Read something with your time. That's good. Maybe not this book. Or just watch TV. (laughs) Or TV. There's a lot of good TV, guys. You know, there's a new series of Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's pretty good. It's so much better than this book. It is. (laughs) Very easily so much better than this book. All right, cool. Well, that seems like a good thing to say to end our podcast (laughs) on. Um, If you like us and all the cool, smart things that we say, you should definitely like us on Facebook uh, or... Follow us on Twitter, where we're the worst spot. Worst, what, what is it called? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> worst bestseller with no S. That's right. I was just testing if you knew. <laughs> anyway, there's no S in it because uh, the S is for silver, and so it's you know we're only lowly red bloods. <laughs> um, you can also join our Goodreads group, won't you? And you can find links to all that stuff at our website, worstbestsellers.com. 
You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. And if you do, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it pops us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, then I guess we're going to like push you into an arena and make you do the Queen's Trial or something. <laughs> I didn't put a lot of thought into that one. Sorry, guys. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers, where you can pledge a small recurring monthly donation uh, and get access to perks like uh, special merchandise discounts. That one's coming soon, I promise. Uh, first access to bonus episodes and a monthly newsletter. And your money allows us to do things like record those bonus episodes and buy new equipment and make sure Duarte has lots of different types of cat treats to choose from. He likes cheese flavor. <laughs> One of the benefits of subscribing to our Patreon is a shout out. If you've been subscribed to us for at the $3 level, at the $10 level for more than six months. So today we'd like to shout out to Adam. Thanks so much for all your support. We super appreciate it. And uh, we super appreciate all of the opinions that you weigh in on on Twitter. And also thanks to Shoba, who wanted to shout out to her cat, Bella, who listens to the podcast with her, but was unsure if Bella would actually be paying attention. So if you are paying attention, Bella, hi from us. Um, I think also... You know, I we forgot to to mention it earlier, but I'm sure you all heard that Duarte also gave a shout out to Bella. It was it was right there in there with what he was saying. <laughs> Definitely, and then, yeah. <laughs> Bella knew. Bella heard it. <sighs> all right, cool. Yeah, thank you to all of you Patreon supporters, especially Adam and Shoba and Bella today, and uh, thank you to Anna for joining us. Of course, you're welcome. Thanks for rereading Red Queen. I mean, I would say any time, but but maybe please don't make me do this again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess we won't go and read the what's the next one like Glass Sword or something. We will yeah, not read so. that. We're done. This is not going to be our new Twilight. We're right. just done with it. But maybe you could read some other thing that isn't so bad. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, no, I'll read something else. Probably there's other books in the middle range. Also, I don't know if isn't so bad is really a good indicator of what you would be reading for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, anyway, if you would like to follow me personally on Twitter, you can do that at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across. Um, and if you want to follow me as a stranger to the podcast, um, I'm Elcar's Librarian at Twitter or Elcar'sLibrarian.com. That's a Star Trek thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm a nerd. I, ooh, get off our podcast, you nerd. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, we're we're very only nerds. Only nerds. Uh, <laughs> so we'll be back in two weeks with the book Diary of an Oxygen Thief by Anonymous. Can't, can't wait to unpack that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For now, we'll just say bye. Bye. Bye.
the thing that I keep thinking about with Silver Blood is like, I feel like your tampons would look so awesome. 